Good morning. Uh, my name is uh, Larry Baxter, and I'm one of the deacons of your church. Our scripture reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can all do all this through him who gives me strength. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever done a book review before. Um, I've been charged with that responsibility on occasion. And uh, whenever you do a book review, you're trying to summarize the words or the ideas of an author. Sometimes those summaries probably rub the author the wrong way. They may say to themselves, are you kidding? There was a lot more to my book than what he said, right? Um, So if you're an author, that may be an annoyance. Um, I don't write so much. I preach. Um, But every once in a while, somebody gives me a summary of my sermon. So (laughs) last week, I have a friend who said, I wasn't there Sunday, but so-and-so gave me a summary of your sermon. I said, oh, he's, yeah. He said, the summary of what Bob says is, are you all in or not? Are you all in or not? And I thought, that's pretty good. That's kind of what I was talking about. Are you all in or not? So in terms of a summary, when it comes to the book of Philippians, I'm going to fall flat. This is the last sermon in this series, but I'm going to give it a try, and I think the key to summary is not necessarily that it pulls everything together because there's only one theme. I think a key to a summary is that you grab an important theme that seems to tie the whole book together, and then you think about the book with that summary in mind. So what I'm about to suggest is not that my summary of Philippians is absolutely perfect. I'm just asking you to think about Philippians this way. So my suggestion is one way to summarize Philippians is to summarize it with the words of the Apostle Paul in chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. But in particular the phrase, the secret of contentment. It seems to me that when you boil it all down in terms of Paul's life, not just Philippians, this is a message that he wants to communicate to everyone. He wants to say that in every circumstance, I am content. In every circumstance. Of course, the question Concerning that summary is, how can he be content in every circumstance? And obviously, that's our exploration this morning. But instead of trying to give the reasons for his contentment, and there could be many, 
I want to begin with the reasons that are not listed as the source of his contentment. The first thing is this. It's clear that Paul does not think that wealth leads to contentment. We all know that to be true. We think it's true that wealth might lead to contentment, but in reality, we know it's not. Wealth is often associated with excess. But even in the midst of wealth, and Paul suggests he's been in plenty, to use his words, even in the midst of wealth or being in plenty, he says, I learned to be content with plenty. That's an interesting statement. I learned to be content with plenty. You might think, I learned to be content because I had plenty. No, I learned to be content when I had plenty. He basically is in a not so direct way suggesting something. He's suggesting that we have insatiable appetites. He's suggesting that we're never satisfied in ourselves. He's suggesting, in effect, that it would make no difference how much money you had. It's not necessarily contentment. And so he says, I've been content in a situation of plenty, but not because of plenty. The second thing that Paul is not saying, first he's not saying that plenty is the key to contentment. He is also not saying, and this one we get off track on, I believe. He is not saying that poverty or simplicity is the key to contentment. Routinely, when we think of excess and wealth, we think to ourselves, we need to downsize. We need to cut back. We should get back to what is essential in our life, and then we wouldn't have so many things that were pulling at our attention, and then perhaps we could be content. That might be a good idea, but it's not what Paul's saying. Paul is not saying, simplify your life, and then you'll find contentment. Paul is saying, when my life was incredibly simple, as in, in poverty, and he goes on to speak about more than poverty. He goes on to speak about suffering. He says, when I was down there, I was content. And when I was up there, I was content. So my contentment has nothing to do with being up or being down, being wealthy or being poor, having lots or being simple. That's not where my contentment comes from. There's a third thing that Paul seems to suggest. Now, you have to read between the lines and understand the background of Paul's writings, I think, to get to this. Paul is not suggesting that contentment is some form of stoicism. Uh, in Paul's day, stoicism was a very well-received philosophy in different parts and different ways. And basically, the idea of stoicism philosophical stoicism is it was predicated on the power of one individual to get to the place that their will was unmoved by circumstances, okay? So if you're a stoic, you want to get to a place where your will 
your emotions and everything else about you is unaffected by circumstances at all. At all. Stoicism argues for what you might call apathy and complete lack of emotion. And in so doing, Stoicism, in effect, potentially robs you of joy because you are not necessarily experiencing pleasure or joy. You're just stoical. You have no emotion at all. The Stoic would suggest that self-sufficiency, this is another key to Stoicism, self-sufficiency in the face of difficulty is the way to live. So if you are self-sufficient and you're absolutely stoical, apathetic, without emotion, perfectly focused on just being, then in effect you find contentment. Of course, we could argue about Stoicism. I know enough about philosophy to know that what I just said is reductionistic. And we could engage that, and if you want to, I'm happy to. I know it's not that simple. On the other hand, reductionistically, that's what it expresses. Here's what Paul was not saying about that particular philosophy. He was not saying that that's the source of contentment. And furthermore, he was not saying that the source of contentment somehow could be found inside you. If you just reoriented the way you think, or if you just reoriented your emotion, or if you just drained yourself of emotion, and you were self-sufficient in yourself to deal with all circumstances, you would find commitment. Paul is not saying that. Paul never argues If this was a essay I was writing, I would underline never. Paul never argues for self-sufficiency. Never. Paul argues for sufficiency that comes through Christ. Entirely different than a stoical approach to life itself. So if that's what Paul is not saying, what, do you, what is he saying? He's saying a lot. And this is where if Paul were here, he would say, Bob, you really just misrepresented me. That was too reductionistic. But I haven't seen him recently, so um, I'm not fearful about what he'll say. So I'm going to reduce the reasons for contentment to three. Reason number one. Paul was content. Because he was constantly trusting in the sovereignty of God. Paul was content because he was constantly trusting in the sovereignty of God. Remember this phrase from Romans chapter 8 verse 28? Summarizes it well. God works out all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according 
through his purposes. Paul believed it. He believed that no matter what the circumstances he was going through, God, as the sovereign Lord, was working it out in his life. When he went through suffering, he thought, God is at work in the suffering. When he went through incredible joy, which he did, he talked about being in the heavens emotionally. God was working out his will in his life. And all of it, the ups and the downs and everything in between was under his sovereign control and was being, can we say, manipulated for Paul's good. God was taking all the circumstances in life and he was making it for Paul's good. I want to read you a flurry of sentences from Paul that illustrate how he was constantly trusting in God's sovereignty. Stay with me. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. He's talking about apostles. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Can I insert something there? Why? Because God's in control. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves This is crazy. (laughs) As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way to great endurance, to troubles, to hardship, to distress, to sleepless nights, to beatings, to hunger. We commend ourselves to that. Why? Because God's in charge of it all. Because God is absolutely sovereign. Five times, he said, I've received 40 lashes, minus one. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. What he doesn't say, he was taken up for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles. That's the whole world, by the way, for Paul. In danger in city, in danger in country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers, 
I've labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I know hunger and thirst. I've gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Let me insert a phrase for Paul. But it doesn't matter. Why doesn't it matter? Because God's in charge of it all. And if he's working all things for my good, I walk through the hardship, trusting in his sovereignty. Reason number one, Paul is content. He's trusting in the sovereignty of God. Reason number two, that Paul is content. He's trusting in God's strength. Not self-sufficiency. He's trusting in God's strength. This phrase, that comes from Philippians, chapter 4, verse 12. I can do all things through Christ that gives me the strength, or who gives me strength. This, this verse is a wonderful verse, and it's been misused a lot, as a lot of passages of Scripture have been. This verse has nothing to do with a statement about my own accomplishment in the pursuit of a goal. It has nothing to do with God helping me out through the difficulties of my own making, although God may. It has nothing to do with self-sufficiency. Frequently, a phrase like this, I don't know if you know it, I mean, I know it a lot because I'm in that world a lot, teach sport history at IU, is used by athletes who are Christian or otherwise. I can do all things through Christ to strengthen me. As if taking that on is some sort of, sort of good luck charm. And I can run a four-minute mile, or I can do this as long as Christ strengthens me. I can do anything. The last uh, race I ever ran, uh, half marathon, was with my son in Las Vegas. And if you've ever been to one of these races, you know there's a, an expo that you go to before the race the day before, and there's all this stuff that you can buy and all these cool things. If you're a runner, you're looking for new things. And there was one booth. There was a guy there, and he was selling T-shirts and hats. And the name of his T-shirts and hats were Team 412. Team 412. Now, not everybody knew what was going on there. But as soon as I started to walk past his booth, I knew exactly what was happening. He was using Philippians 4.12 and saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, you might think me being a critic, I would walk by and sneer at it, but I'm a very gracious individual. <laughs> I don't know what that laughter was all about. <laughs> and um, so I walked up to him and I said, this is great. You know, right in the middle of all this, and you got a scripture verse, and you're promoting this. I, I really appreciate it. I said, I, I got to buy one of your hats. And I did. I bought one of his hats, and I wore the hat. And I had one of the worst races of my life. I mean, honestly, I didn't think the hat was going to increase my time or make me better. But sometimes that's the way people use these verses, right? I have a goal that I want to achieve. 
And I know Jesus loves me, so if I set my goals, Jesus is going to help me accomplish my goals. No, not necessarily. As a matter of fact, if you set your goals, Jesus might want you to fail miserably. Okay? Because that's part of the suffering that he works through for your good. He may want you to succeed in your goal. I think there was nothing wrong with my goal to run a half marathon in all 50 states. I only got to 15 and I couldn't do any more. But I never claimed Philippians 4.12 as the strength that I was going to have to get to state number 50. Because I think it's inappropriate. It's bigger than that. And to use it that way is just to reduce it to one thing. And that one thing happens to be my desire. Philippians 4.12 actually is in the context of walking through suffering. In other words, what Paul is saying in Philippians 4.12 is you can do it. You're walking through grave difficulty right now, but you can do it through Christ who gives you strength. He's not saying you can run a four-minute mile if you just trust Jesus. He's saying you can walk through everything in life, and God will give you the strength to do it because it's he who called you to it. So, after I wore the hat and ran the race, I reflected a lot on the verse. And here's the result. I understand that God can give me strength to accomplish all kinds of things. But I also understand that what he wants from me is to stay to his mission. And whatever his mission is for my life, he will give me the strength to do it. And at the end of the day, my mission may look like a failure. But nothing is a failure with God when you're trusting in his strength. He's shaping you. So the first reason that Paul finds the secret of contentment is he's trusting in God's sovereignty. Second is he's trusting in God's strength, not his own. And the third is he's trusting in God's supply. Remember this verse from Philippians in the same area that we read? Philippians 4, 19. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But notice it's God's supply. I don't know if any of you ever uh, watched the show. It was actually produced, I believe, by National Geographic. At least it ran on that channel from about 2011 to 2014. And the show was named Doomsday Preppers. Doomsday Preppers. People who were absolutely certain that an apocalyptic event was going to hit sometime and they had to be ready. They had all their supplies, right? And there were various, <laughs> various ways they supplied all this stuff. It was dry goods that wouldn't go bad. It was all these things, weaponry and everything else, right? They had their supplies, you know what, that, that must have been a great show because people love that stuff. It also is not necessarily a bad way to live, to have a backup plan when things go wrong. But here's what we all know. No matter what you do, there's never going to be enough supplies. Now, it might get you through something, but if the something goes too long, you're going to run out of supplies, right? 
The point of Paul's statement here is God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory is that it's his supply, not yours. You don't pack it away. You don't put it in a basement. God supplies your needs. It's his supply. Second, God's supply is inexhaustible, never comes to an end. God's supply is eternal. It can't be touched by time and space. So Paul says, I can be content because I can rely on God's supply for my life. I don't have to understand it. It doesn't have to be easy. I can trust God for his supply because he is going to supply all my needs. Often we want more than we need, right? Now let's say it differently. We almost always want more than we need especially in this American culture. We often want what we do not need because of our sinful nature. And we even want what we know is not on our best interest. None of those things are a part of this phrase from Paul. God promises to supply exactly what we need. And that's why he's content. So I said at the beginning, um, I was going to summarize um, Philippians by suggesting that the summary could be, Paul has found the secret of contentment. Now let me dig down a little bit deeper just for a moment in conclusion. That's not really the secret. The real secret of contentment is the way Paul thinks about his life. Every author has a favorite phrase. Paul's favorite phrase, by far, is two words. In Christ. That's why he's content. Because he feels as though His life is hidden in Christ. The very last phrase of the book of Philippians is this. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Period. This is a short epistle. Only four chapters. And in most of your Bibles you flip a page and that's about all there is. And in the short epistle, Paul mentions Jesus Christ more than 42 times. More than 42 times. If you sit down and read the book of Philippians, it won't take long. I bet you it won't sound redundant. Because he just saw himself as in Christ. And he wanted you and I to be in Christ. Christ. 42 times on a short space of an epistle. It's on average every three verses that he names the name of Jesus Christ. Above all, he says, may Christ be preached. For me to live, wonderful. It's great because I'm in Christ. But to die, 
It's gain because I'm in Christ. That Christ may be, his phrase, magnified in my body, whether in life or in death, because I'm in Christ. May you be filled with the righteousness which comes through Christ, being in Christ. Not a righteousness of your own. Not something you can do to make yourself better, but being so completely immersed in Christ that he is your righteousness. It's almost like you can't help yourself, says Paul, if you're in Christ. If you're in so deep, that's what I want for you. When you live your life, remember Philippians 2, the most famous passage in Philippians, when you live your life, it should be an example of Christ Jesus. Who could have been God from all eternity and not become human, theoretically. But he became human. And divested himself and put aside his deity to enter humanity. That's why Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And when all those things are true, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I have learned the secret of contentment because I have no identity apart from Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we... um, hear that beautiful story and we think to ourselves we're not there yet. We hear that call and we say to ourselves oh that it were me. But then sometimes Lord we hear these words And we remember a time. Fleeting as it was, we remember a time when we were so immersed in Jesus Christ that we experienced this kind of contentment. That we experienced irrational joy. That even our suffering made sense that we fully trusted in you and we knew you were going to supply all our needs and we felt like we had endless strength because we were in Christ Jesus. Lord, that's our goal. And we pray not just this week, but you will teach us as we walk and that's the only way we learn Teach us as we walk and follow you what it means to be in Christ and give us the contentment that comes from that and from that alone. In the name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.